Thank you for choosing this podcast from the Calling Community Church. As a Christ-centered community, our mission is to create space for all people to experience the compassionate love of the Father and the calling He has for their life. Please enjoy the message today recorded live inside the Wilson Arts Auditorium at Platte County High School in Platte City, Missouri. So we've been talking about these commands, the seven commands of Christ, and we're on the sixth command today, and that is the command to give. And so we have repented and we have believed. We have put our hope and trust in Jesus. We have been baptized. We, got, we, got, we went through the waters of baptism. And then after that, we, we, got, we came to the table and we did Lord's Supper together and we, we communed with one another at the table. And then after that, we learned to pray. We learned to have this vertical connection with the Lord, and we learned to pray for those that are in our midst. And then last week, we learned to love. We talked about love. We talked about love is a verb. It's action. It's a decision that we make. It's more than just words. It's something that we, we do. And let me just frame this, this message today. It's framed around this idea of love, the love that he has for you, and it's your love that you have back for him. And he gives us lots of evidence of we, the why we should love him. That, that's, you just got to know that today, that you are loved with an everlasting love. His love abounds and it endures forever. You cannot outgive him, I promise you. Matt, last week I felt a little convicted when I said that you can't outlove me. I want you to try, but maybe you can. But I promise you that you cannot outgive God. I will stand on that one firm. I will not apologize for that. You can try, but it will never happen. It will never happen. And we'll see all kinds of reasons why that is true. So now here's the first thing I want you to do. I want you to open your Bible. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Just have that open. Have that ready. All right. So you're going to get two sermons for the price of one today. And you're like, oh, we're so lucky. Oh, awesome. All right? So just have that available when it's, when, it's, when it's time. And so there are a few things that I want you to know. There's, a, there's something I want you to feel. And then in the end, there's an opportunity for us to apply this, and there's something for us to do. All right? Can we pray? God, thank you for your generosity. You just see it all around us. You see it in the person next to us. We see it um, in creation. We see it when we look in the mirror. God, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the truth that we can glean from your word and how it can encourage us, how it can challenge us just a little bit today in this, this subject of generosity, of giving. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for who you are, just like we sang about just a moment ago. We thank you for who you are. Thank you for each individual life that's represented in this room, that they have chosen today to sit in your presence. And I know that they won't be disappointed by what you have for them today. Pray that these will not be my words, Lord, but they'll be your words today. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there's a few things I need you to know before we begin to actually preach on this subject. Some of this stuff I already knew, some of it that I've learned as I've gone along, and some of it I learned just recently when I listened to a message about generosity from a guy named Dr. David, uh, David Jeremiah. Anybody here Dr. David Jeremiah? 
uh, great teacher, scholarly, just a sage. He got so much wisdom, and he just speaks so much truth in love. And I just was listening to this sermon, and I got some of this, gleaned some of this from him. But some of it, like I said, is stuff that I've already known. But here's, here's we're just going to give you some bullet points uh, right off the bat. First of all, God is a generous God. And I just mo- I prayed about that just a moment ago. We see it in creation. We see it in the breaths that you are taking right now. Do you know that you are borrowing those breaths from him? Those breaths do not belong to you. And he's given them to you because he's generous to you. As a matter of fact, nothing we possess actually belongs to us. We have to get over this idea that our money, that our stuff is actually our money and our stuff. It all belongs to him. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. It's interesting. Twelve years ago, I posted this passage of Scripture on Facebook. It popped up as a memory today, um, this morning as I got up on my phone. It was just pretty ironic, I think. This idea that nothing belongs to you needs to reframe the way you view his, gener- his generosity to you and your generosity back to him. Generosity is a matter of the heart. It's not an amount in your bank account. And goodness is at the center of all generosity. For instance, we can be generous not just with our money, but we can be generous with our words, with our deeds, with our patience, and with our kindness. That's good news, isn't it? That we have the opportunity to be generous in all kinds of different ways. Here's here's another truth. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't. But he wants your heart. It's not about giving in order to get something in return. And there are several ways to give. And we've just mentioned just like uh, whether, sorry, giving, physically giving. But there's ways that we can give like our time. And we can give our talent and we can give our treasure to the church. But I want to encourage you, ladies and gentlemen, it's not one or the other. We might be tempted to think, well, you know what? Oh, I volunteer. That's enough. Uh, I don't know. The Dearborn Cafe. I went to the Dearborn Cafe the other day. It was great. I had some breakfast. It was yummy. Uh, Guess what they expected me to do when I was done? The dishes? No. They expected me to pay. That's just how it is. All right, And so we can say, well, I volunteer my time, therefore that's enough. It's good that you volunteer your time. Don't stop. Well, I give my talents to the worship team or whatever it is. Don't stop. You, if you've got talents, you've got gifts, God's given them to you. He's given them to you for a purpose. And he wants you to give them back to him. But he also expects us to be generous with our treasure. Do you know that you're not born generous? Can I get an amen? You're not. You know why I know you're not? Because you were a toddler at one time, and I've had some toddlers in my life. And just the other day, my uh, little granddaughter, Jessa, she came over to my house, and I said, Jessa, I love your hat. Can I have your hat? No. You know what she said? Mine. Last night, Amelia, we were at the grocery store. She had some pepperonis. Like, mmm, those are my pepperonis. No, mine. We know right away we are not born generous. We have to learn to be generous. Are you ready to learn to be generous? Some of you are. Some of you are not. Do you know... That typically, the wealthier someone is, the less they give percentage-wise. Doesn't make sense, does it? Makes sense in this context. Jesse, Jesse, I give you a dollar. I say, Jesse, 10% of that belongs to the Lord. And you're like, okay, cool, here's a dime. Jesse, I give you $100. And I say, 10% of that belongs to the Lord. And you're like, what, what? I got to give up a 10? 
Are you sure? Is that, did God really say that? Sure. Yeah, yeah, a 10, man. Okay, that's cool. But now, Jesse, I give you $1,000, and you're out, you're out walking out the door because you got to give up a hundo, man. you got to give up that, do, that $100 bill. And that's a little bit more difficult, right, when it comes to this idea of giving. Are you familiar with the story that comes out of Mark chapter 12 of the poor widow who gave only two small coins? How many of you are familiar with that story? You've heard that story before? Okay. It says that Jesus was sitting across from the temple treasury and Jesus watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums. As a matter of fact, Dr. Jeremiah told a story that in that day that they would, they would have this collection thing that would be sitting in front of the church. So this is the way they would give. They would have it right here in the front of the church and everybody would come up to give their offering. How many of you can give me an amen that we don't do it like that here in this church? But here's what they would do. The wealthiest people would exchange their paper money for as many coins as possible and they would come and they would give and they would give and they would give and it would sound really, really good so everybody in the place could hear. They were called zingers. They'd be like, oh, here come the zingers. Here comes the wealthy people. They're going to zing their money in. And then in this context, here comes this little older lady, poor widow, it says. Now, wait a minute. We assume that she's a poor older lady, but maybe she was 25 and she was a widow. She was poor. In that culture, if you were a widow, you were poor because you didn't have a man to take care of you. Now, all the women are like, it's not like that in this culture. Not today. I take care of myself. No, actually, we still need each other, you know, whether it's be the church or your, your spouse. The poor widow came and dropped in two small coins worth very little, it says. Summoning his disciples, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others. Generosity is not about your bank account. Generosity is about your heart. For they all gave of their surplus, but she gave out of her poverty, and she has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. She was all in, trusting that the Lord was going to provide for her. It is true that some people can give with the wrong motive. It's possible. It could be, hey, look at me. Look at how much I am giving. All right, you should be proud that I'm giving this much. Or some people say, well, I'll give, but this is how I want you to use it, Pastor. There should be no strings attached to your gift. Now, it might be that if you notice online, if you go online, you could give to missions. If you want to give an additional offering to the missions program or if you want to give to the benevolence fund so that we can bless uh, other people that are in need of being blessed, then that's, that's separate. That is a separate offering that you would give, but there are no strings attached to our gifts. The biblical concept of tithing is related to this idea of giving the Lord your first fruits. And in that day, it was called a tent or a tithe, with the promise that there is a blessing that comes in honoring the Lord with your first fruits. Proverbs 3 9 through 10 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Doesn't that sound great? But here's the thing if you want to receive, the first thing you must do is to give. That is the biblical principle of giving and tithing. So a tithe would be. of your income. An offering would be something you would do 
like above and beyond what the initial tithe would be. Do you know that our church tithes? Every single dollar that is given, 10% of that goes into a fund to help those that are in need. It's just a biblical principle that we follow as a church. And I think one of the reasons why God has been so good to us because we have been a generous church. Matter of fact, I'm not going to announce all the different things that we've done to be generous, but if you want to know, come and have coffee with me, I'll tell you. If you're that concerned about where the money's going, I'll show you an incredible picture of God's blessing and generosity. We have nothing to hide, nothing to hold back. And so it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And so 10% of everything that's given goes into an account that helps other people. Many say, well, I don't go to church because that's all they want is your money. Well, you know what? If this is the only time you ever hear me preach, you might be tempted to say, well, that's all Brady preached about was money. That's a joke, right? It's one Sunday. There's 50 other one Sundays you can come and hear that. That's not all we talk about. But the reality is, is we probably don't talk about the subject enough. Because here's the thing. The Bible talks about it a lot. And I'll talk about more about that later. We are talking about it today because I love you. And as your pastor, I want you to know the freedom that we were singing about just a little bit ago. I want you to know the blessing that comes when we get this part of our faith right. When we finally let go and let God. When we finally get to the place where we can say, Lord, I say that I trust you, but now I'm showing you that I trust you. Some would say that tithing is an Old Testament practice and that when Jesus established the new covenant, he did away with tithing. Wouldn't that be awesome if that was the case? Some of you would say, finally, I don't have to worry about it anymore. But guess what? Let me just tell you, I think Jesus raised the bar way high when it comes to giving. He was asked what the, two greatest com- or what the greatest commandment was, and he basically told them to love God with all that you are, all that you have. This includes your possessions. It says, remember that these possessions aren't ours anyway, right? Because they were given to us by him. All these possessions that God gives us, he's just loaning them to us. He's loaning them to us to be a good steward with the things that he's given us. Like your time, your talent, and your treasure are all things that God gives you to honor him and to bless others. Did you hear me say that? To honor him and to bless others. That's why you've been given what you've been given. And learning how to use those things in the, in the way that brings honor and glory to him becomes a huge blessing not only to others, but in according, uh, also to you. So there's a story in Jesus' day of a rich young man who came to Jesus and asked him what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus told him, sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and then come follow me. I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot more than 10%. I mean, Jesus is like, I'm just really trying to get it to your heart, guys. I'm trying to get to this point of saying, what is it that you love more than you love me? That's where he's trying to get today. With all of us in this room, what do you love more than you love me? And we all have to answer that question, including your pastor. Now, it doesn't mean that he might not be telling you today, like, go sell everything you have. Trish, Trish knows a guy who did that. He sold everything that he had. And then he was no good to anybody because <laughs> he didn't have anything to give. He just let it all go. Once again, it's about your heart. He's wanting your heart. 
All of us at one time or another, and this is just the truth, all of us at one time or another will spend money on things or invest money on things that are not close to God's heart. We will. We do it every day. Remember when I talked about the Bible talks a lot about money? There are 2,000 verses in the Bible related to money. Do you think it's a big deal? It's a huge deal. Do you think it's the, one of those things that kind of gets in the way and distracts us? Absolutely. Jesus, 25% of Jesus' teachings were on the subject of money. Jesus knew how distracting it could be and how it could get in the way of true worship. You see, 10% in the kingdom is just a good place to start. Can I give you a few stats? Well, here they are whether you wanted them or not. America is known as the most generous nation in the world. Really? Do you know what it says? 85% of Americans give less than 2% of their income to charity. But we're considered the most generous nation in the world? 10 to 25% of Christians, born again followers of Jesus Christ, give 10% of their income to the church. Now, it's really probably closer to 10 but we'll give you the benefit of the doubt and say it's 25% tithe faithfully. And I'm sorry, but not sorry. I'm going to pick on you millennials. The average millennial in the American church gave $50 to the church last year. Not to this church. Some of it was less. Some of it was more. But the average and this information comes from this ministry called Thrivent. This is not something I'm just making up. This is research that they've done. But, now millennials, I'll give, you, I'll give you a break here. Millennials are the most generous when it comes to offering hospitality, which is defined as unqualified acceptance of others, welcoming people into their circle, and then also giving gifts to one another. They're very generous when it comes to that. When it comes to supporting the work of the, the church, they're not. Do you know who the most generous generation is? Give me a guess. Who do you think? Huh? The elders. Right. Because they've grown up with this idea that tithing is just what you do. Do you ever see the signs in the bathroom when it says all employees must wash their hands before they return to work? Is that just a no-brainer? Why do we still have to tell people to do that? Don't all employees know they should wash their hands? Are there any other employees out there that think, you know what, I just went to the bathroom. I'm going to go touch food. I shouldn't wash my hands. That's silly, isn't it? But yet we have to remind people all the time. And we would just seem to think that, you know what, that's just something we do. It's just part of who we are, part of being a follower of Jesus. That's just what we do. But you know what? When it comes to this unqualified acceptance of others, elders aren't real great at that. <laughs> Because they've been burned. And they know people. They've seen it and they've been there and they've done that. And so you got this disparity. They're, they might be generous with their finances, but yet they're not generous with their love towards other people. In some, I'm not saying that's true across the board for everybody. Don't, please don't feel, hear me say that. But that's just the t- statistics. The youngest generation, any teenagers, teenagers, raise your hands. Yeah. You know what it says about you? It says you don't have any money. <laughs> Because your parents all have that money. (laughs) 
but you lead when it comes to volunteering and giving your time and blessing others for social causes. Because you feel like you want to make a difference in the world and it's not too late. The rest of us have just given up. We've tried, didn't work. I'll just put a check in the offering basket. (laughs) But you young people feel like there's still a chance to make a difference. And you use social media, whether for good or for bad, (laughs) to make that difference. I'm going to blow your mind. Listen to this. If, now we're being generous with the 25% of those who give, right? Faithfully tithe. If the other 75% of the people walked in biblical obedience and just started giving the first fruits their tithe, guess what? Here's the impact it would have. Global hunger would be eradicated in less than five years if the church started being the church. Can I get an amen? Somebody. Yeah, you're like, oh my, like, dude, this is it. I'm never going back to this church. The clean water epidemic in the world would be erased. And there would be $100 billion left over to accomplish the Great Commission, which is to go to all the nations and talk to them about Jesus. That we are still waiting to accomplish that task. You know why? Because we can't get there because we don't have the funds to get there. We can't send the missionaries because the funds aren't there. Do you know what? It's possible that the lack of our generosity is keeping Jesus in heaven and he's not coming back until we figure it out. I'm passionate about this. I preached this sermon to my wife already. Poor lady, she's having to hear it again. And I'm not ashamed to say that every single dollar that I receive for any reason, that money goes back into the kingdom. 10% of that money goes, at least 10%, if not more. Now, that's just me. How can I preach about it if I'm not going to live it? You know what I would be called? A hypocrite, right? And my wife will tell you how serious I am about that. I I do a wedding. You pay me $200 to do your wedding. $20 of that does not belong to me, and I will find a way to get rid of it as soon as possible. Because you know what it's like? It's like the manna. The manna in the Old Testament, when it, they would, God would give it to him every day and he'd say not to collect too much, just enough. It was like, if I hold on to it for too long, it'll go rotten. And I can't let that happen. You hear what I'm saying? Just being real, just being honest with you. I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back because I could still be more generous. Matter of fact, as soon as I get all my kids off the payroll, I plan on being more generous. I'm gonna support the local Corvette um, uh, club or whatever. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah, that's another thing. Listen, if I'm driving a Corvette, everybody thinks, ooh, man, that church is paying that pastor way too much. Everybody's looking, right? Everybody wants to know, like, hmm. Man, if you drive a Corvette, all I want to know is when can I drive it? I'm happy for you. Ask the Lord to show you the need that's around you. Expose your heart to the brokenness in our world. Ask the Lord to show you how to meet those needs. And here's the deal. You can't help everyone, but you can help someone. All right, I'm gonna ask you this question. Hey, we haven't even got to the sermon yet, by the way. I'm just telling you, this is just the intro. You're all in trouble now. I'm gonna ask you this question. I want you to hear this. 
if everyone in this church approached this, this idea, this, this topic of giving and generosity in the same way that you do, how much impact would our church be able to have in this community and in the world? Did you hear me? If everyone approached it the same way that you approach it, it's not about equal amounts. It's about equal sacrifice. If everyone approached it the same way you do, what kind of impact would that have? The reality is, is in a few short months, we'd have to shut the doors for some. The other reality is, in a few short months, we could literally start making plans to build our own building. <laughs> or better than that, we could start making our plans to start building an orphanage in a place where kids are hurting and hungry and helpless. The possibilities are endless. Over the summer, our attendance started to do this. Started to go up. And look around you, our attendance has gone up. Praise God. Do you know what? Our giving went the opposite way. In the month of June, last summer, we were probably $8,000 below budget. Now, that doesn't mean that earlier in the year people were generous. So we had, we had money to, to, to support what we were doing. Don't get me wrong. We're, we're blessed. But I'm like, what is going on? And sometimes it's just out of sight, out of mind. Well, I'm, we're on vacation, so we took a vacation from giving. <laughs> That's not what God is talking about. That's not the biblical principle of tithing. Now, I understand there are situations where maybe your income goes down, because of job change or whatever, and, or maybe you retire. and I get that. And God understands that too. It's not about equal amounts. It's about equal sacrifice. You all ready for the sermon now? Got your Bible? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, right? All right, I want to set this up real quick. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote a letter to the church in Corinth called 1 Corinthians. And in that letter, he, he was a lot nicer than I have been this morning. <laughs> he busted their chops pretty hard about a lot of stuff. Matter of fact, that, that, the, the verse we, verses we read last, uh, last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about love, those people weren't loving each other that way, and he was reminding them what love really is. And so he wrote this letter, and he kind of stepped on some toes. Some people left offended. And as a result of that, he wrote a second letter just to kind of follow up, in a sense, really, just to make sure, are you okay? <laughs> Did you, I just want to make sure you heard what I was saying. I just want you to... And so this is... Just a few chapters, few pieces of that letter. Back to the church again, all right? I think it's important for you to know that. And so here's what he says. 
starting in verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. So then, dear friends, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. And so Paul says to the church, make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one, corrupted no one, taken advantage of no one. I don't say this to condemn you, since I have already said that you are in our hearts. You're in our hearts, we will die together, and we will live together. He says, I am very frank with you. He says, I have great pride in you. I am filled with encouragement. I am overflowing with joy in all your afflictions. In fact, we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, instead we were troubled in every way, conflicts on the outside, fears within. Does anybody, anybody rec- just kind of like feel that today? We got some conflicts on the outside, we got some fears on the inside. That's the church, that's us, that's who we are, we get it, it's okay. But God, who comforts the downcast, amen, isn't that good news? God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us By the arrival of Titus. So Titus was a messenger. He came back to Paul and told them. He reported to Paul what the Corinthian church was saying about him and about his first letter. It was very fascinating. And not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort that he received from you. The church was good to Titus when he was there. they They took care of him. The church was being the church. He told us about your deep longing, your sorrow, and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For even if I grieved you with my letter, I don't regret it. And even if I did regret it, it says, since I saw that the letter grieved you yet only for a while. And, and now I says, I rejoice because you were grieved, because your grief led to repentance. There are times when I might say some things that grieves you, and it maybe doesn't feel very good, but if it leads you to a deeper and more intimate walk with Jesus, then I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Like if it causes you to draw close to God, then good. It says, for you were grieved as God willed so that you didn't experience any loss from us. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. There is a difference between the Spirit's conviction and your guilty conscience. When the Holy Spirit convicts you, you need to listen to that. But if you're just feeling guilty about something, maybe you're just feeling guilty like you feel bad because you got caught, you know, whatever it is, that's different. But the Holy Spirit's conviction leads to life. For consider how much diligence this very thing, this grieving as God wills it to happen. Think about what it's produced in you. It's produced a a desire to clear yourselves. What indignation, what fear, what deep longing, what zeal, what justice. That's the fruit of conviction is when you want to make things right. In every way, it says you showed yourselves to be pure in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not because of the one who did wrong or because of the one who was wrong, but in order that your devotion to us might be made plain to you in the sight of God. For this reason, we have been comforted. In addition to our own comfort, we rejoiced even more over the joy Titus had because his spirit was refreshed by all of you. Do you know that I hear stories about people in our church being kind and a blessing to other people? And you know that brings me joy? 
It brings me joy that they're getting it, that the church is listening. They're actually not just hearing it. They're actually going out and living it out. That brings me joy. And that's what Paul was saying. It brought him joy. For if I have been or made any boast to him about you, I have not been disappointed. But as I have spoken everything to you in truth, so our boasting to Titus has also turned out to be truth. And his affection towards you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of all of you and how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that I have complete confidence in you. Isn't that cool? He's he's talking to these people. All right. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. Okay, so first of all, he's, he is reminding the people of Corinth that, that they were going to collect an offering that was going to be given to the poor. And he's reminding them about this promise that they made and to fulfill that promise. And then he's telling a story about the church in Macedonia who doesn't seem to be very wealthy. They don't have a lot, but what they had, they gave. And he's just reminding them of this truth. He says, During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, listen to this, They begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints and not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he could also complete among you this act of grace. Giving is a privilege. Have you ever viewed it that way? You might think that, you know, oh man, I... I have to give. Check that off. That that is not right. You don't have to give. You get to give. It's a privilege that you have been given anything to give back. And that's what they're saying. They They were a church that was in need, but they went above and beyond because it was a privilege. And it says they first gave themselves to the Lord, then to us by God's will. Matter of fact, you will not be able to give effectively until you first give yourself to the Lord. Like, that has to be number one. The very first commandment is to repent and believe. You must have a deep, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus because when Jesus calls on you to give, you're going to be willing to do it because of what he's already done for you. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. Giving is an act of grace. It is this giving of this undeserved favor. For one, it's not an act of grace to God because he doesn't need our grace. He's the giver of it. But it's a grace to others as we bless others. I'm not saying this as a command. Now, this, when Paul's writing this, he's not saying, I'm commanding you this. This is just, this is just a follow through. This, this, um, you made this commitment, now I want you to follow through. Rather, by means of diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness Of your faith. Giving tests the genuineness of your faith. Malachi chapter 3, if you know the the passage of Scripture, uh, the prophet told the people, you're robbing God. And they're like, well, how are we robbing God? Because you're not bringing your tenth or your tithe into the temple. And then God says these words, test me in this. 
that if you follow through and you act in obedience, that I will not pour out so much blessing on you, it will overflow. Test me in this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, and so that by his poverty you might become Rich. That is the gospel right there, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus was rich. He became poor on our behalf so that we might become rich. Rich in what? Rich financially? Maybe. Some people get rich. And, they're, and God's blessed them with many things so they can be a blessing to others. But the real thing that we take away from that, the real riches, is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we're saved, that we have eternal life, that we'll be with him forever, and then even though we die, we'll live. That's what makes us rich. Right? And that's why we should give is because we're filthy rich by God's grace. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother in the back. And in this matter, I'm giving you advice because it is profitable for you. Who began last year not only to do something, but also to want to do it. If you're going to give, you have to desire to give. You have to make up your mind. Like, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to do. And then if you're going to make up your mind that you want to do it, then you you actually need to do it. Now also finish the task so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. It is not that there should be relief for others and a hardship for you, but is a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their needs so that their abundance may in turn meet your need in order that there may be equality. And here's what, is, here's what that is saying. There's a time when you have a surplus and you are to give. And you, what you are doing is you are basically, it's like a, it's like a, a heavenly savings account. Because there's going to be a time when you're going to be in need And if you've invested, if you've sowed into that, it's going to be there when you have a need. Does that make sense? That's what we do. There are times when you said, you know what? I don't have any needs. God is good. Everything is wonderful for me. I've been blessed. I want to be a blessing. But I promise you there's people around you today that are hurting, that have a need. And if we don't, if we don't sow it in first, it's not going to be there. But also, if you don't sow it in first, when it's time for you to have a need, it's not going to be there. Does that make sense? That's just how it works. It's a biblical principle, and Paul's sharing this with these people. The person who had much did not have too much, and the person who had a little did not have too little. And that is a reference also to the collecting of manna in the desert. All right, thanks be to God who put the same concern for you into the heart of Titus, for he welcomed our appeal and being very diligent went out to you by his own choice And it says, we have sent with him the brother who is praised among all the churches for his gospel ministry. Which, by the way, we don't know the name of this brother. It's just someone that uh, that they sent along. And not only that, but also he was appointed by the churches to accompany us with this gracious gift that we are administering for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We are taking this precaution so that no one will criticize us about this large sum that we are administering. Indeed, it says... We are giving careful thought to do what is right, not only before the Lord, but also before the people. Let me just tell you that there is a group of people in our church 
There is a guy named Dan Ryder who manages our money, who is a good steward of our resources. And you can be assured that whatever is given in this church is being distributed fairly and it's being, we're thinking about it, we're praying about it. It's not just Brady with his credit card like, hey, all right, what can we do? How can we bless? They're like, oh, Brady, that's good. Let's just hold back there. You know, here's what we should do. And we sit down and we pray about it and we, we meet together. You can be assured that your money is being spent well. As a matter of fact, once again, if you want to know where it's being spent, let's go have some coffee. And I'll share with you. We have absolutely nothing to hide. And that's, that's very, isn't it important to know that? That you know that this money that you're giving is going to go to be a blessing. It's going to go to pay for this space. It's going to go to pay for my salary and, and Tony's salary and Justin's salary and my wife to be the administrator of, of, of the church so that we, so I don't have to go get another job. That's, that's part of it. That's just a percentage of it. And the rest of it goes to all kinds of other ministry things. You can be trusted or trust that we are being careful to do what is right before the Lord and before the people. And it says we've also sent them with our brother. We've often tested him in many circumstances and found him to be diligent. And now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. And as for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker for you. As for our brothers, they are the messengers of the churches for the glory of Christ. Therefore, show them proof before the churches of your love and, your, and our boasting about you. Our giving shows our love for God and our love for others. Do you know that? Like in our community, the generousness of this church shows that that church loves the Lord and that church loves people. That church is actually following the two greatest commandments. We're almost done. Hang in there. I know we got, got, to, got to get rolling here. Trish told me not to look at my watch, but I'm sorry. It's just a habit. What's the motivation for giving? Ultimately, the motivation is to bring glory to God. Now, concerning the ministry of the saints, it's, an, it's unnecessary for me to write to you, for I know your eagerness, and I boast about you to the Macedonians. Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you in this matter would not be proved to be empty, so you'd be ready, just as I said. He says, don't just talk about it. Now it's time to walk it out. Otherwise, if the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, he says, we, not to mention you, would be put to shame in this situation. Therefore, I considered it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance this generous gift that you have promised so that it'll be ready as a gift, not as an extortion. I'm not standing here this morning extorting money from you. I'm appealing to you to just obey Jesus. To walk out this obedience that he calls us to. And this is the point. The person who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will reap generously. Each person should do as his, he has decided in his heart. Remember, it's a heart issue, not a bank account issue. Not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver, Charles Spurgeon said, is a willing giver. We are not to be like the young grape that must be pressed and squeezed to get the juice out of it because it is not ripe. Rather, we ought to be like the honeycomb dripping spontaneously with fresh honey. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, 
always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Here's the application. Worship team, why don't you guys go ahead and come on up. We've talked about what you should know. Hopefully we encourage you about how you should feel. And this is what you should do. I'm going to ask you to commit to praying about generosity in your own heart, in your own life. And if you're a couple, sit down, talk about it. Pray about it. Look at your budget. Have an honest conversation about it. I don't know if you've done that yet or not, but I encourage you to do so. If you know what, Brady, we have made so many poor choices financially, we can't even, we can't even begin to think about that right now. If you need some help in that particular area, you're not alone. You can talk to Dan, have a private conversation with Dan. He can give you some resources. He can help you personally. He knows someone who can to help you get some freedom in this particular area. We're not causing you worldly grief so that you feel shame when you walk out of here. But if you feel some conviction and you feel like, man, God has really been dealing with me on this particular this area, then it's time. You might ask this question, well, how much should we give? I, I can't determine that amount for you. I'm giving you a guideline. C.S. Lewis, this incredible author, teacher, was asked that question. He says, start giving more than you can afford. The reality is, is you can't afford not to give. In God's grand scheme of things, you just can't afford not to give. It's not about equal amounts, but equal sacrifice. I understand, listen, I understand if you have a spouse and you, that you don't see eye to eye on this issue. Matter of fact, if you have a spouse that doesn't even attend church with you, like that's the last thing you're gonna be able to go home and talk to him about. But I, I want you to at least start down that road, have that conversation. Maybe today the Lord has opened your eyes and your heart to this subject and you're ready to step out in faith. Maybe you need to come first and say, you know what, Lord, I'm sorry for robbing you. I'm sorry. I've had that conversation. I've had, you know, I've had people call me on the phone and say, Brady, the Lord has convicted me. I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me for robbing from the Lord? Maybe you're ready to step out of faith. I challenge you today to just obey Jesus. Just do it. Here's the deal. Try it for a month. March is coming up. Try it for one month and test the Lord in this, that if he not show himself faithful to you. If you haven't done that yet, you haven't truly trusted him yet. You're still thinking you, you can manage it better on your own. I promise you, you can't. Trust him. And then finally, we have an opportunity, ladies and gentlemen, right now, today, right in this place, to fulfill what it says in Acts chapter four, where it says that nobody claimed that their possessions were their own. It says that, they, that there were no needy persons among them because they all who own lands or houses or whatever, it says they sold and brought the proceeds and they laid them at the apostles' feet. That, that way then the, all those things were distributed to each person that has a need. Do you know that right here, right in this place, there's a family in our church that for the next two weeks, they're gonna be short about $800 to make their bills because of illness and because of not being able to work right here in this church. We get a chance, we get a chance to show them that God's faithfulness to us is affected us. You no, know, we want to be faithful to them, right? And so here's, here's how it'll work. 
There's your tithe, there's your gift to the church. And this sometimes happens when we do this, we'll take up a love offering and people will give to the love offering and they don't give to the church. We just talked about that. There's first your gift to the church and then there's offering. It's, the, it's kind of like the front pocket. It's like the additional above and beyond where I can, I can bless those who need to be blessed. I can sow in to the kingdom so that when I need it, it'll be there for me, just like scripture says. And then, it'll, then I'll be blessed too. And so today, when you walk out of here, when you, when you have an opportunity during the song, to, to be thinking about this, be praying about this. You have an opportunity to, to give. If you want to be a part of, of giving the, a love offering, you can take your envelope, and on your envelope you can put an amount. You say, this is my tithe, and you can put the other amount that says, this is the love offering. And, the, and when we count the money, we'll make sure that that money goes into the benevolence fund and that the family that needs it will get it and their needs will be taken care of. Does that seem fair? Does it seem like that's the right thing to do as the church? It's exactly the right thing to do. That's what we're supposed, that's what we're called to do. When you think about where you are in this particular subject today, how could you have an impact in this community? How can you have an impact in the world? you allow God to have his way when it comes to your generosity. I pray that you've been challenged today. I pray that you've been encouraged today. I pray that you know that you're loved. No matter what you've done yesterday, God still loves you. And he's still patient with you and he's wanting you to walk in obedience with him. So let us worship. Let these words to this song impact the choices that you make. Thanks again for choosing this podcast from the Calling Community Church. We hope it leaves you encouraged. If you need more information about the church or want to speak to someone about prayer or faith in Jesus, please visit our website, thecallingcommunitychurch.com and fill out the contact form. We look forward to hearing from you and hope you have a blessed day.